I'm going to uh, just dive right into the Word today, continuing on this story of the work of God and the promises He had in the lives of Abraham and Abraham's heirs. We haven't read the verse together in several weeks, but I hope you'll remember that we've been reminded that the New Testament that says that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we who are not biological heirs of Abraham have become his spiritual heirs. We've inherited the promises that God gave to Abraham. And so that's why we've been searching the scripture, reading the stories of these promises and how they were worked out in the lives of Abraham and his descendants. Uh, Last Sunday, we were reading in the book of Genesis about Jacob and the work he was doing uh, for Laban, who was his father-in-law. Jacob, the deceiver, had been deceived by Laban, and and these two guys were just trying to lie and cheat and steal their way out of each other's wealth, and things were not going particularly well. You might recall near the end of the story that we read last week that Jacob was feeling like it was time to take his wives and his family and and return back to his home, move out of the in-laws' place and get back to a place of his own. Uh, What what we find out happened is that Jacob spent about 20 years. That's what what last week's story covered. It was a quick, quick couple paragraphs in the Bible, but it's a period of 20 years that Jacob worked for his uncle Laban before he was finally ready to return to his homeland. So picking up a little bit where we left off last week, if you were to read, we're not going to do it today, but if you were going to read in Genesis chapter 31, you can read the story of his actual departure from Laban's household. It's, it's quite the drama. Because at first, Jacob, who never manages to handle things well, can we agree on that? I'm not trying to throw shade at Jacob. I'm just seeing like every time he's got a conflict with somebody, it seems to go south really, really quick. And and this is no exception because in chapter 31, we read that Jacob ends up sneaking away with with his family, with with, uh, Rachel and Leah and all the kids. They sneak away without even telling Laban. And then Laban finds out they've left. And so he, he chases them down. A week later, he finds them on the road. He chases them down. And then there's this huge argument about whether or not Jacob had stolen anything from Laban before they left. And eventually, these two men, just agree to stop fighting so that at least Laban can say a proper goodbye to his daughters and to his grandkids. And in the interest of just keeping the peace, you're going to love this, Jacob and Laban agree on a truce and they set up a boundary. They actually set up a boundary right where they are. And in the, in the interest of keeping the peace, they just agree. Jacob says, I'm not going to go past this boundary into your land to do you any harm, and you're not going to go past this boundary into my land to do any harm. So there's a peace here, but it's based on the fact that we're just not going to bother each other anymore. We aren't going to be around anymore. Uh, It's not a very amicable separation. It's saying we can get along as long as we don't have to actually be together. Please don't put your hands up, but I wonder how many can identify with in-laws that we get along with as long as we we don't have to you know, be at their place. That's kind of what Jacob and Laban have going on in Genesis chapter 31. What we're going to look at today is Genesis chapter 32. The beginning of that chapter, Jacob is still on this journey back to his ancestral homeland, the place where Abraham and Isaac, his father, had settled. Jacob on that journey gets word that his brother Esau has heard that Jacob's coming home. Remember Esau? 
Well, things did not end well with Esau, did they? Things did not end well with Esau. And now Jacob is coming home. He's become very wealthy. He's become very powerful. He's become very prosperous. And Esau has heard that Jacob's coming home. Jacob gets word that Esau knows they're coming home. And Esau is marching towards Jacob with a small army of 400 armed men. How how was your Thanksgiving? (laughs) Good news, brother. I'm coming home. Great. Let me get my army. We're going to come out. We're going to settle this thing right now. Does that sound like just a wonderful holiday gathering for the family? Oh, it's so good to see you. That's what this is looking like here. And Jacob is terrified because he doesn't want this fight. So he splits up his camp. He divides his family up into different groups. His hope is that if Esau attacks one group, uh, the other group can get away. He feels like he has really no way of defending himself against what's sure to be a great fight with Esau. Uh, what he does do is send some servants ahead of the way, try and, try and meet Esau, try and head him off, and give him a bunch of presents. He sends him a bunch of presents. Maybe we can bribe him into not attacking us. That's what he's saying. Things look like they are going to get very, very tough for Jacob. Uh, Let me recap it this way. For Jacob, the way forward, the path forward is not safe because of the threat of Esau. And, And the path backward, not safe because of the threat of Laban. Jacob has nowhere to go, nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide. He has sent his family in one direction to keep them safe. He sent his servants in another direction to watch the herds. And so once again, we find Jacob in a familiar spot, all alone in the wilderness. Remember a few weeks ago when we saw that? We said this is not going to be the last time. This is not going to be the last time. Here we are. Jacob is all alone. Or so he thinks. Let me read the story to you. It'll be on the screens. I'm beginning in Genesis 32, verse 24. It says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Well, please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. That's the story. That's the story. I think it's helpful to consider the story from Jacob's perspective. Jacob had spent his life 
hearing about the promises of God. We've been in this sermon series since Labor Day. Some of you probably feel like you've spent your life hearing about the promises of God. Jacob has had his own encounters with God before. We referenced it earlier in the service, right? His dreams. He's had some some God moments in his life. He even made a personal commitment to worship God. Kind of. He hedged it with a lot of ifs back in that story. More than that, Jacob has become very, very prosperous. Now, his dad and his grandpa were both wealthy ranchers. As a young adult, Jacob struck out on his own, and he accumulated his own wealth as a rancher. The flocks that he tends aren't made up of anything he inherited. No, he earned it for himself. He's a wealthy man. Not only is he wealthy, he has a huge Family In the metrics of the ancient world, anyone would recognize Jacob as a blessed, blessed man. But Jacob has terrible people skills. He has terrible social ability. And that problem has continued to follow him through his life. Uh, just another parenthetical thought here. This is not the sermon I intend to preach today, but it's worth mentioning at this point. Jacob has all of these blessings, but he has terrible, terrible social skills. Can I say this? Just because you're a Christian and just because God's blessing is on your life doesn't mean you have to work. It doesn't mean that you don't have to work on your people skills as well. Okay. God's anointing is no excuse for just being a jerk. That's not how things work. That's a different sermon. Remind me, we'll preach it another day. But that's kind of where Jacob is, right? God has chosen him. God has anointed him. God has selected him. But he's kind of a jerk. He's kind of a jerk. And the Holy Spirit needs to work on that. Jacob's problem with people is what has caused the immediate threat that he's in right now. At least that's the way Jacob sees it. He spent the last 20 years, as we said, working and living with his in-laws. But the only reason that there's even a hint of peace with them is because he promised to never come back. (laughs) I know a lot of people like that. We get along great as long as I don't have to go there. Right. If he does go back, there's sure to be a fight. And his scouts have told him that his brother is marching toward him with a small army. And so if he goes forward, there's sure to be a fight. If he goes backwards, there's sure to be a fight. If he goes forward, there's sure to be a fight. So he does the only thing that he can do, at least for one night. He goes nowhere at all. He settles down all alone. If I go forward, there will be a fight. If I go backward, there will be a fight. So I'm going to stay right here all by myself. And guess what? There's a fight. (laughs) He thought it was the only way he could avoid a fight, but indeed there was a fight. His plan was to avoid conflict completely, and that plan backfires. The conflict finds him. Notice in this story, there's nothing to suggest that this experience was a dream. Jacob was merely setting up his camp for the night when somebody, he probably thought it was a bandit or a raider, somebody ambushed him and a fight broke out. Jacob may have been a lot of things, but one thing he wasn't was a weakling. And so he meets the fight. He fought tenaciously, but he and the intruder were so evenly matched that this wrestling match just kept going on. Did you know that in the Olympics, in the freestyle wrestling event, the world-class best athletes on the planet wrestle for two periods of three minutes apiece? They only wrestle for six minutes and they get a break. But Jacob and his adversary wrestled all night. We are talking about total, complete exhaustion. 
Now, maybe at some point, Jacob became suspicious that his adversary wasn't a mere mortal. There's really no way for us to know for sure when he might have realized this. But as readers of this story, we don't find out until the very end of the story that Jacob's opponent was God himself. And that leaves us with a very, very sobering thought. Sometimes we fight God without even realizing it. Sometimes we fight God without realizing it. In 2016, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Wasn't that awesome? It was the following year, as they were getting ready to ratchet up for training camp during the offseason, that they sent a documentary film crew out to Chris Bryant's home. Chris Bryant was their all-star third baseman, best player in baseball that year. And they said they wanted to send a documentary film crew out to record just how he prepares during the offseason for some publicity piece that they were going to do. Bryant lives in the Las Vegas area, so they sent this crew out to Las Vegas, and they met him on the field where he does his off-season training program, and they interviewed him, and they took footage of him uh, doing the different exercises that he does. And the last thing they wanted to do with Brian is they wanted to take video footage of him taking batting practice. And so he got into a batting cage on a field, and one of the coaches came out to throw batting practice to Chris Bryant. And so the documentary film crew kind of set up, and they just watched as the coach threw pitch after pitch, batting practice pitch, after batting practice pitch, and Chris Bryant, one after another, just launched home runs over the left field wall. Just launched them, launched them, launched them, bang, bang, bang. Somewhere in the midst of that, the coach that was throwing, that was serving as the pitcher for this, uh, got a phone call. And he said, I'm so sorry, I'm gonna take it. Uh, and he said, uh, they, they need me back at, at the facility. I, I gotta go now, I'm so sorry. And he left. And Brian said, that's fine, I'm done. And the film crew said, that's not fine. We didn't get all the footage we need. We need about 10 more minutes of you taking swings here. Well, there was nobody left to throw batting practice. But the audio technician who was working with this this film crew, the guy holding the big boom mic, he said, I used to pitch. Big guy with a big belly, long hair, and a baseball cap. He said, I used to pitch. Back in college, I threw some. You know, I coached my son's team. I'll, I'll throw him a few. Brian said, no, no, you know, when you're a pro, you can't afford to have somebody throwing garbage up there that's gonna mess up your swing. No, 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 I don't feel good. And the guy said, no, I need to, the director said, you know, we, we really need this footage. The, the Cubs need this footage. Can, can you just stand in and take a few more against this guy? So reluctantly, Brian goes to the plate and, and this, this audio technician goes to the mound and picks up some baseballs and kind of decides, okay, and he goes, well, I'm gonna throw one and he throws. And Brian looks and says, well, you actually got it over the plate. I guess, I guess maybe we could do this. And so he stands in and takes a couple of uh, practice swings and, and the pitcher winds up and throws him a ball. Brian swings, but instead of a, a bomb, instead of a home run, he just kind of hits a weak ground ball the other way. He says, wow, that, that ball's got some move on it. And the audio technician says, well, I used to throw a curveball. See if you can hit my curveball. And he throws it, and it's another weak ground ball. Bryant swings again and again, and now instead of hitting home runs, he's, just, he's fouling these pitches off. Uh, he, he's saying under his breath, oh, this guy can really throw. <laughs> And then the guy says, okay, well, let me, let's try this. And he throws a few more. He strikes Chris Bryant out. Strikes him out. Bryant's really, really flustered. 
director says, you know what, we got all the footage we need. <laughs> the audio technician says to Chris Bryant, he says, hey, that, that was really cool. Do you, do you suppose there's any way that you would you know, be willing to autograph that bat you were using? And could, I, could I have that? You know, just to remember this moment. And Bryant, kind of rolling his eyes, says, yeah, I guess I can do this. He takes a pen and he takes the bat and he says, uh, who do you want me to make this out to? The audio technician takes off his hat, his glasses, removes his wig and the costume he's wearing, and he says, how about Hall of Famer Greg Max? <laughs> Perhaps the greatest pitcher ever to walk the planet, right? If you're interested in seeing it, you can find it on YouTube. I love that story because sometimes we fight God without realizing it. I'm not saying Greg Maddox was God, but he's the closest we've ever come to it on a pitching mound, right? And sometimes we don't even recognize the opposition for who they really are. Chris Bryant was going against a Hall of Famer and he didn't even realize it. Earlier today, we sang that our God is fighting for us. And that's true. The people of God can live in the assurance that God is fighting on our behalf. As part of the covenant, God promised to protect Abraham. And as the followers of Jesus, we live as heirs to that promise. God is fighting for us. But in this moment, God wasn't fighting for Jacob. He was fighting with Jacob. And that's something quite different. I'll bet that Jacob would have rather seen God go ahead of him and lay waste to Esau's army. Or maybe he would have rather seen God go behind him and teach Uncle Laban a lesson once and for all. But not on this night. On this night, the struggle was between Jacob and God. You know, when we face opposition in our lives, we're very quick to call it spiritual warfare, aren't we? We assume that all opposition is the work of the enemy, and we pray fervently that the God who fights our battles would take up his sword and start doing some smiting. Perhaps we need to remind ourselves that the same God who fights for us sometimes deems it necessary to put on his wrestling unitard and put us in the half, half Nelson. The way I see it, Jacob had spent his entire life up to that point running. He had a reputation for creating conflict with all of his lying and all of his cheating. But what we sometimes overlook is that when he created that conflict, his go-to move was to run away from it. He had run away from Esau, hadn't he? He had run away from Isaac. He had run away from Laban. When things got tough, Jacob's solution was to run. And along the way, he had gotten pretty good at running from God. He had had his encounters with God, but he was always avoiding an actual decision or an actual commitment. He was always kicking the can down the road, trying to get away. I'll decide later. I'll decide later. This isn't for now. Even on the night that he dreamt about the stairway to heaven, his response was, if this turns out to be true, then I'll make a decision later. Go back and read the text. That's what Jacob said that night. If this turns out to be true, then I'll make a decision later. But then he went on his way. And he continued his habits of lying and cheating. And as best we can tell, he spent 20 years in Laban's country without ever circling back to the decision that he had to make about who God was going to be in his life. And apparently... God got tired of waiting. So Jacob and God had a little showdown. And did you catch the irony in this story? 
Remember, Jacob's life had changed the day that he used trickery to get a blessing from his father. And it changed again the day that his father-in-law tricked him out of another blessing. And now, in this wrestling match, his life is being forever transformed as he grabs hold of his heavenly father and screams into the desert night, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The boy wanted a blessing from his father. And God grants his wish. The blessing comes probably not in the way that Jacob expected it. The blessing that he gets isn't a promise of prosperity or wealth or fame. Jacob already has those things. This time, the blessing is a new name. Jacob, the liar, the cheat, the deceiver, will now forever be known to God as Israel, the one for whom God fights. Amen. Jacob is a new creature. You know, sometimes... The greatest blessing is a new nature. Sometimes the greatest blessing we could ever have is a new nature. In the ancient cultures of the Bible, your name was a commentary on your nature. Your parents gave you a name that described the circumstances of your birth or maybe a particular hope that they had for your life. Uh, There's some famous examples in, in the Bible. Moses was named Moses, not by his parents, but by Pharaoh's daughter because he was taken up out of the water. And the word Moses means taken from the water. Samuel, little boy Samuel ministering in the temple, right? His mom couldn't have a baby and she prayed and prayed and prayed. And when she finally got pregnant, uh, she named her son Samuel because Samuel means God has heard. God has heard me. Even Jesus, the name Jesus, right? The name Jesus has a specific important meaning. It means the Lord saves. The instrument of salvation was named because the Lord saves. That's how kids were named in ancient cultures. Later in life, people often adopted nicknames that described them in some meaningful way. That's why name changes were so important. Jacob's brother Esau, he had a name change. We kind of skipped over it when we were reading those portions. But do you remember that he was, when he was born, the Bible says he was covered with hair. And so they, they named him Esau, which means Harry. That was his name growing up. Hey, Harry, how you doing? And then later, when, when, he, he, uh, when he lost his, blood, or his uh, inheritance over that stew, it was red stew. And the Bible says he loved red stew, and that's how he got his nickname Edom, which means red. So his name was Harry, but everybody called him Red. What's up, Red? How you doing? Right? They, they got nicknames that just describe some part of, uh, of some part of their being. And Jacob's new name, uh, his nickname, if you want to think of it that way, Israel. It literally means God fights. Jacob's name will stand as a reminder for the ages that God is fighting. But there's some ambiguity in that name, isn't there? Who is God fighting for? Who is God fighting with? Well, this story tells us that he's always fighting for his people, but he's equally willing to struggle with his people as he did with Jacob, if that's what's called for. Jacob's new name marks him as an heir to the promise. His life has been transformed, and now he knows for sure that he belongs to God. 
and he's worth fighting for. A lot of us come to faith in Jesus because we've grown tired of life as usual. We are hungry for a change, and we've become convinced that God can provide the change that we're looking for. We've become convinced that God can bless us. And you might think that the greatest blessing God could possibly give you would be a new car or a new job, or maybe just a new boss. Maybe you don't need a whole new job. You just need a new boss. Amen, Kat? Is that the blessing you want on your birthday? <laughs> maybe you think that the greatest blessing God could give you would be a new, new bank account. Yeah, we could think of any one of a million different new things that God could use to bless us. But in most cases, God wants to do something else first. He wants to give us a new nature. He wants to make us new creations. He wants us to be new people. God almost always changes us before he changes our circumstances. But how often do we pray that prayer? <laughs> how often do we really mean it? God, change me. Lord, transform my very nature. Let the world call me by a new name. That's the blessing that I'm asking for. Instead of greedy, I want to be known as generous. Instead of anxious, I want to be known as peace-filled. Instead of grouchy, I want to be known as joyful. Instead of proud, I want to be known as humble. That last one. That's the hardest for a lot of us, isn't it? Humility doesn't come very naturally. We would rather stand tall and proud. We would rather walk through life with a confident swagger. After the wrestling match, Jacob would never stand tall and proud again. The Bible says that he walked away from the site of the fight with a limp because of his injury to his hip. And most people believe that Jacob limped for the rest of his life. More than a thousand years later, the Apostle Paul would tell a similar story about his own life. You might recall that he wrote once about a thorn in the flesh. He said he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, if it was a, a physical affliction, a malady, if it was a spiritual issue, if there was something. We don't know what it was, but there was something in Paul's life that he wanted to be rid of and he just couldn't get rid of it. He wrote to the Corinthians, he said, no matter much, how much I pray for deliverance, from this affliction, the only thing God always says is, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. Amen. It seems to me that most believers need a constant daily reminder that the promises of God are worked out through our weaknesses, not in our strengths. And when you're an heir of the promise, humility is always what's called for. And sometimes... Sometimes we are meant to carry our humility with us. Sometimes we're meant to carry our humility with us. Well, let's be careful here, though. This calls for great understanding and discernment. If you are given to a particular addiction or what we sometimes refer to as a besetting sin, well, that's not your thorn in the flesh. That's not God's way of keeping you humble. You need deliverance. If you have some sort of unchrist-like character flaw, like maybe you're given to rage or anger, you have a short temper, short fuse, uh, that's not God's way of keeping you humble. You need transformation. If you live with the scars of past abuse and pain, uh, this is not your thorn in the flesh. This is not just God's way of keeping you humble. You need healing from those things. 
Uh, but if you live each day with a vivid reminder that God's power has been made perfect in your weakness, that's what I'm talking about. If you walk through life with an always present memento of how God works through our own fragility, then maybe, maybe, maybe you have something that God wants you to keep walking with. Maybe you found your limp. The next chapter of Genesis tells us that on the morning after Jacob's wrestling match, the very next morning, he spotted Esau's army in the distance. And the hits just keep on coming. Oh, come on, God, could you not have given me a day to rest? Could you not have given me the weekend to get my feet back under me? But no, the very next morning, he spots Esau's army in the distance and they're advancing quickly. Jacob, the schemer, he had no more moves to make. There were no more tricks up his sleeve. So he did the only thing he could do. He went out to meet Esau, bowing low to the ground as he did so. These verses won't appear on the screen, but I'm just going to read what happened. Genesis 33, verse 4. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they both wept. These two overgrown man cubs who had been at each other's throats going all the way back to the time they shared a womb. These two men stood in the wilderness that day and they sobbed in each other's arms. There was even some talk for a while of Jacob and his family coming to live with Esau, but Jacob ultimately decided to head in another direction because now he knew God had a different plan for his life and for the plans of his heirs. The story ends this way, Genesis chapter 33, verse 18. Later, having traveled all the way from Padam Aram, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. And Jacob bought that plot of land where he camped for a hundred pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and he gave it a name. God, the God of Israel. I love that. God, which God? The God of Israel. I don't know if Jacob realized it or not, but Shechem, the place where he decided to settle. That was the exact same place that his grandpa Abraham had first settled when he arrived in Canaan many, many years earlier. The exact same place. Now back then, you might recall from the beginning of this story, Abraham was just a pilgrim traveler. He had a successful business, but he had no family to speak of. Abraham was, was wandering through the land. Uh, he was building faith in God's promises, but he was a, so, a sojourner in seek of refuge. Two generations later, Jacob is pitching his tent in the exact same spot, but this time, he owns the land. This time, his family is bursting at the seams. The things that Grandpa Abraham had seen in faith are now being fulfilled in the life of Jacob. The promises are taking shape. But more importantly, Jacob's wrestling days were finally behind him. (laughs) 
because now he belonged to God. Church, we're going to close with a word of prayer today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you to consider this story and how it sits in your heart, how it fits in your life. I have the sense that there are many among us who would say there have been seasons in my life where, like Jacob, I was a runner. I was a runner. I knew how to run from God. I knew how to run away from conflict. I knew how to run away from what God wanted for me. Many of you who would say that's my story, many of you had your final showdown with God. <laughs> many of you had the wrestling match. Many of you reached that point where you said, okay, let's do this thing. But I also know, I also know that there are people in this room who might feel like they're still running from God. And maybe, just maybe, you came to church today with the ordinary on your mind. You didn't know that something extraordinary was going to happen instead. Maybe like Jacob, you were just trying to make a place to be safe for one more day. Just one more day. Just one more day. There's problems in front of me that I can't deal with right now. There's problems behind me that I can't resolve right now. I need a safe place for just one day. Maybe that was your heart when you came here today. You didn't know that you were walking right into God's ambush. You didn't know that he was gonna leap out of the darkness and grab hold of your life this morning. You didn't know that you were gonna find yourself in a spiritual wrestling match, not of your own making. anybody here that feels that way. The promises of God are taking shape in your life. I wonder if there's anybody here that feels like life has been a struggle <laughs> and every hand went up, right? But I wonder specifically if there's folks here that would say, I thought I was struggling against people. But I see now that I've been struggling against God. And that's why I couldn't overcome. That's why the struggle went on and on and on and on. I didn't even realize that I was struggling against God. If those descriptions are true of you today, then I would invite you to do what Jacob did. Perhaps for the first time in our look into his life story, he's finally made a decision that we can get on board with. <laughs> he's finally done something that the pastor in good conscience can say, maybe let's do this too. And that thing is to grab hold of his heavenly father and say, I'm not gonna let go until you bless me. 
I'm not going to let go until I hear your blessing over my life. I'm not going to let go until you've said that you'll transform me. I'm not going to let go until you've given me a new name. I'm not going to let go until the problems that are behind me no longer entangle me. I'm not going to let go until the sin that destroys me no longer has authority on me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go. If you're ready to make that decision today, if you're ready to make that decision today, not the decision that Jacob made the last time he was alone in the wilderness, not the decision that says, well, maybe I'll think about this some more. And if it turns out to be true, and then maybe. No, that's not what I'm talking about. If you're ready to make the decision that Jacob did today, would you just look me in the eye so that we can pray together? You can lift up your head. I see you. 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 God, the God of Israel. In the quietness of your heart right now, I want you to pray, God, the God of, and then insert your name. He's your God. He's fighting for you. He's working for your good. His anointing is on you. God, the God of Dan. That's me. But that's the relationship he wants to have with you as well. Father, would you consider the hearts of those who are in this room right now? Boy, it's still in here. It's still, like nobody's moving. There's a sanctity to this moment. But Lord, in, in the spirit realm, there are wrestling matches going on in this room right now. I see them. I see them. In, in, in the spirit realm, Lord, you are wrestling with some of your people today. Thank you for your transformational power. Thank you that we are called by a new name. Thank you that the promises you made to our ancestors are being fulfilled in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that the things that you said in days of old are happening in our days, in our generation. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, the atoning work of Jesus is bearing fruit in this generation, among this people, in this location. Lord, thank you that your promises are without measure and without end. God, it's not in our comfort zone to thank you for our limp that feels strange to me but Lord we, we do it regardless we rejoice in the fact that your power is made perfect in our weakness we rejoice 
in the work you're doing in us and through us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.